to Law Enforcement Today, the podcast. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. I'm a radio broadcaster and also retired Baltimore police sergeant. In every Law Enforcement Today podcast, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Be sure to check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and please take the time to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. The Law Enforcement Today radio show brought to you by Galls.com. That's G-A-L-L-S.com. Robert, you've been dealing with them for a long time, haven't you? Long time, 31 years, and they've been in business for 50 years. Their selection is unparalleled. They've got everything from boots, glasses, gun holsters, concealable bags, everything. You get everything at Galls.com, and their customer service is unparalleled. Delivered right to your door. Never even have to leave your house. Goals.com. Also check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Joining us, I believe, from Tennessee, June Hawkins. June, how are you? I'm fine. And uh, thanks for calling in their beautiful studios here in Palm Beach, Florida. You are not unfamiliar with South Florida and South Florida weather. Oh, no. I, uh, of course, having, I was born there. And lived there <clears throat> better part of my life and was a cop for 30 years down there, so. Whereabouts? Well, I was born in, in Miami, in Miami Shores, but uh, actually, uh, I was a cop uh, for Miami-Dade County Sheriff's Department, whose name has changed three or four different times, but um, right now it's Miami-Dade County. Right. And I was with them for 30 years. When did you start and when did you retire? I started in March of 1975, and I retired uh, in 2004, actually, although on, I was on the books for a little longer, you know, you was killing my sick time. Gotcha. Now, I want to say this. Thank you so much for your service, and because uh, we don't say it to each other enough, but in many <laughs> respects, you were a pioneer, because yeah, back I, in the, the 70s... First, yeah, first thing that popped to my head, what was it like being a female police officer in probably one of the most male macho cities in the United States. You know, I have a number of people that have said I should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. About some of those experiences. Uh, there's so many things. It was unique, you know, a two-sided coin because on the one hand, there was a lot of, um, I guess, suspicion and apprehension on the part of my male colleagues about what the heck, you know, what are these women doing in here now? And on the other hand, I have to give them credit. They, most of them, when the, once they realized that I was really sincere, I was a single mother, I had to earn a living to support my son, and I wasn't just, this wasn't just a, you know, a lark for me, then they became my big brothers. I was actually going to ask you that. As you know or don't know, June, I'm 31 years and counting, and I'm still active. And through my career, I noticed this one of two things happen with female officers. One, you want to be big sister, big brother, or two, you just don't want to have anything to do with that female officer because you feel that they're some, in your mind, for whatever reason, inferior. And you're saying that you had the latter. You had very positive experience from the Brotherhood? Yeah, and, you know, I, in the beginning, like I said, there was, 
I was probably the only female on most of the platoons and, of course, the squads that I was on for the good while. Um, I don't know, the first five years probably that I was on the department. But I was too busy making a living, doing my job, trying to be Eric's mom. Uh, my mother lived with me then, helping me with Eric. I, I just, I didn't have time to play around or be the Twinkie or, you know, be the flirtatious little chickadee that maybe some of them expected from females. Right. And, you know, I was serious and I was, I'd say I was pretty dedicated. I mean, and I think I was a pretty good cop and I, I just was very determined. I needed the job. I would have walked over hot coals to keep my job and to, and to do a good job. It was very important for me to not fall into that typical, there was, you know, there were some females, which is, we can't deny it, they sometimes go the easy route, which is to butter up the bosses and play the, you know, eyelash flashing, kind of googly-eyed, and that kind of thing. You lose credibility with your colleagues. You and your, You know, and, and I, did, I did not want that, and um, it, maybe it would have been easier, but that just isn't me. I'm a little bit hard-headed. So. Well, you're in good company because I, I, can, I can't speak for Robert, but I know I'm severely hard-headed, and I suspect he might be a tad on the hard-headed, knuckle-headed side, too. And, and, you know, what good is having or being in any position if you didn't really earn it, if you didn't right. pay your dues? So I knew when I was, you know, they teased me and the other females, too, but and the the guys in the beginning especially they you know you could tell they were testing you like they would any rookie right right but yeah, we did they they needled you a little bit they'd say something maybe they'd use really crude language to see if you got offended after a while they realized that i was just as bad as far as the language i mean big deal so you know it, it wasn't to me it just wasn't insurmountable it just wasn't a big deal i never got uh, sure, I had some guys that kind of a little bit sexually harassed me or what you would now consider that. But, I, you know, I just kept on trucking. I just couldn't. De- yeah, I'm not going to make a big mountain out of a molehill nada. Gotcha. So you had a long and, uh, career. And is it safe to say that during that time frame, it wasn't like what we saw in Miami Vice? It wasn't like that at all. <laughs> you didn't have Maseratis and Ferraris and all that to drive around with really cool music in the background? Absolutely. You know, I can remember driving to um, a couple of homicide scenes in my own personal car. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny Which how people... Which is unheard of. Pe- it later became unheard of, but... People have this perception that it's, it's like television and life and police work really is nothing remotely close. You mentioned your son, Eric. We had him yeah. on the show not that long ago. Eric Reynolds is a Boynton Beach, Florida police officer. Yes. And he, he's following the family tradition. And <laughs> uh, By the way, I'm very impressed with Eric. A very uh, a good guy. You can tell he's a good guy. Comes from good stock. Yeah. Man. Yes, he has a good heart. Tell us about the incident. We talked about he was involved in a, a very bad, horrific, very traumatic shooting. And right. The first thing I saw was the dash cam video, which we didn't have back in our day. Did you see that? I did. Well, uh, when he when he first got shot and he was at the hospital, I think his his sergeant told him after they picked up his wife and son and brought him to the hospital, his sergeant, I think it's Frank Danish, 
said, you better call, you better call your mother up in Tennessee because you don't want her to hear about this. Right. You know. So he's on the phone. He calls me, and the first thing he says is, Mom, first of all, I'm okay. And, of course, my heart sank since I knew something was up. Right. And then he tells me, okay, this happened. And, you know, I said, well, okay, uh, are you okay? The usual questions and so forth. And then, I don't know how long after that, he, uh, I mean, I went, I went down there to be with him uh, sometime later, but I don't remember if it was, but anyway, sometime after that, I uh, got to see the dash cam video. He sends it to me. And let me tell you, I was, and I consider myself a pretty tough old broad, but this was my son, and I had my mother's hat on <laughs> when I first saw it, and I actually got nauseated. Mm-hmm. I couldn't finish watching it. I had to turn it off, walk away, give it about 20, 30 minutes, and I said, okay, i got to go back and become the cop. And then I was able to watch it. Very interesting. But that, that initial first thing was just, and I don't, I have a cast iron stomach. I just, you know, it was like, I just couldn't watch it. It was, it actually made me lightheaded and nauseated. And I don't think I ever told Eric that until about a couple of weeks ago. I just couldn't see it. You know, I couldn't watch it with my mother's heart and hat on. I had to compartmentalize it and move away from it. It's so different that you bring that up through your 30 year career down in Miami. I am sure you personally have been in some heroic and hectic and life-threatening situations, which if you care to share with us, that would be great. But now that you see your loved one in it, it's totally different. And I so get that. Yeah, it is. Um, it's one thing. And I, you know, I don't mean to say that I was very cavalier in my, oh, nothing's going to happen to me. When I was the single mother raising a kid, I realized that I, I had to be careful. But um I, I, the difference was it, I knew I could take care of myself and it was me and, you know, it's you. It's not a loved one. And when I saw that, I mean, Eric's my only son, my right. only child. And the sun rises and sets on him. And I, it, I just, it was totally different, totally different. You know, you can, I've been to homicide scenes, horrible death scenes involving children, babies, unbelievable stuff that we've all seen and experienced. But there's a part of all of us that psychologically we separate that because we are so involved in handling the scene, interviewing the witnesses, making sure that this gets done and that, you know, you get into that automatic police mode and then you overcome the personalization of it. But when it's your own child, it, it just really, and it surprised me. I thought, oh, yeah, I can, and I thought, what's the matter with me? But when you're a mother, you're a mother first, I guess. I'll tell you, I had a difficult time watching it. I got nauseous, I got lightheaded, and I had not met Eric yet. And Robert goes... You haven't met him? I, well, before, when I first saw the video, I yeah, hadn't I, met him. I, yeah, because if Eric didn't share with you 
It's a very interesting way how we connected. Um, Boynton Beach is not far from where I live. And I live in Boynton. And, and, and so he made a very poetic post on Facebook. And he simply said, five years ago, my life changed. My life right. changed. Right, I fall. remember seeing that. And I saw that and I go, wow, I got, I'd like to speak to this guy. I mean, I just so got it. He just nailed it. And I immediately reached out to him. And, well, you know, we're pretty fast friends now after everything and this is just a short time ago but that's how i got introduced to your son and and then i sent it over to jay and then jay said oh wow yeah we got to get him on what happens for me and not being related i've been through so many of those things myself that it starts i start getting that physiological response i'm like oh my god here it goes the adrenaline's going it's a fight or flight yeah. it's a whole and Police body cams, dash cams, any type of violence like that, I have a very difficult time watching. And uh, yeah. it's it's hard to describe. Movies and yeah, fake stuff. And when I'm you good know, about. when you've seen, uh, when they're, you know, when the, the topic is going to be, okay, this is, uh, let's say, at officer safety, and they show you seven or eight different scenarios where you know the cop's going to get killed. Right. That is very disturbing still. No matter how old the YouTube or the video or the whatever is, it's very disturbing still. I can't watch it. There's I, some I, uh, horrific, horrific videos out there of our brothers and sisters killed in the line of duty. Very horrific. And a couple of them from my training years ago were involved in Miami. There was one with the FBI and a bank robbery guys in a following. Oh my gosh, yes. And I, I, I had... You know, Eric went to school that. with the daughter of one of those guys. Really? One of those agents, yeah. Oh, what a small world. Miami Palmetto High School. I can't remember what the agent's name, but he went to school with the, with the little girl. It was the daughter. And I, and I think he was killed. I'm pretty sure he was one of the, the guys that was killed. Yeah. This is a tough subject. What makes this really tough is, and I appreciate you coming on to talk about it, you have explained the cop mode and and the parent mode and we oftentimes don't think about the parents we think of the spouse when something really really bad happens and fortunately eric survived not unscathed he had injuries and he's living a good life but he's got a lot to over that he's overcome as a result and that has to be difficult for you a being a parent being a cop and being far away yeah um, you know, it's a fine line. I, how much, if I was there closer, we, well, Eric and I always were able to talk about, because I was mom and mother and father to him, and we pretty much were able to always talk about any number of different things. And I didn't push this law enforcement career on him. On the contrary, uh, I, tried not to glorify it and when he first went to Florida State he was a business major and I was fine with that I didn't you know expect anything whatever he wanted to do and he called me two or three semesters into it and said mom this is so boring Ugh, I hate it and I said well what do you want to do and he said I want to take criminal justice well anyway if I was closer to him you know physically of course, we could. Ha I could have mentored him more through this difficult time, and I know. But we did talk. But as you know, things like that, it takes a while for that to catch up to you. That impact of holy smokes, and he 
he had a child. He began to think twice. Oh, my God, I could have, you know. It's, I, I know that he was thinking, I could have left my son an orphan, my wife a widow. Those kind of things, I guarantee, went through his head. Of course they did. And I feel like, in some ways, I should have been or wished that I could have been closer physically, distance-wise. But on the other hand, I mentored him, have mentored him and given him as much of the strength all the, you know, to make him into the young man that he is today. It's so interesting, June, that you bring that up because we, uh, me and Jay have just been talking about how we all take responsibility for an incident that we have no reason for taking responsibility for whether it be a brother officer being shot and killed and we say well if i was there it would be different or chuck uh, who we just spoke to as far as his son being killed on the swat team and well you know what could i have done different was something that i got out of our conversation and and i see myself doing that and then we're speaking to you and you're doing the same exact thing that we yeah yeah we we have maybe it's part of the police psyche that we feel responsible more than the average person? I don't know. That might be it, because it's, it's whacked out crazy guilt over stuff that I, I could not have prevented. Exactly. And, and the truth is, we all go about doing this thing the best we can. There's no there's no book written on, you know, how do you help a family member who's been through a traumatic shooting? I haven't seen that book yet. No. And, you know, I was a hostage negotiator uh, with Metro, with Miami-Dade, for whatever, 10 years or so, and we had staff psychologists that worked with us when we were talking to the different people, whether they were, you know, genuine crazies or pretend crazies and those kind of things. Right. But, and there's just some things that you are just ill-equipped that most human beings are not, you can't change it, you, your heart breaks, your... Your human empathy gets stretched to the limit because you, you, you know, you go to that well and you pour it out of you, and there's just nothing you can do, and it's one of the hardest things. How many funerals have you not been to that your heart absolutely just breaks and shreds for the kids and the wives that are there? I was so thankful that my son, I mean... I don't know if I could I don't I've often said I don't know how I would have handled if something if he had died. Right. I don't know how people overcome that. I don't yeah. have an answer for you either. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't think I, anybody I, does. I, I ask think every it's something guest. that's inside of all of us. Yeah, I ask every guest that that has lost a loved one in a tragic situation in law enforcement that exact question, June, and and they all have different answers and they all say the same thing. They just have to eventually, at some point, somehow, I guess I'll use the word of uh, Chuck Snyder, suck it up yeah. um, right. to get through. Yeah, I, I think that when it's not somebody that we're in love or care for, that exactly what you said, we become almost robotic and it's the job, and we get into autopilot, and we never really think about that that's somebody's brother or somebody's sister and or somebody's loved one. Um, but when it's something close to home, 
I think that we're even more vulnerable than the average public. I think well, you're right. Exactly, because we're supposed to be the ones that are always in control when there's a devastating event that happens to a stranger. And therefore, you know, when it happens to one of our brothers in blue or one of our good friends, it just rocks our world. And people think, I guess, most average normal people don't, I don't know if they understand how that brotherhood works. And, and that genuine, I, maybe my husband's a Marine, and so he has that same kind of brotherhood with his fellow Marines, and he was also a cop for 30 years. So maybe that's the difference is that you have to have been in that brotherhood, whether it's military or law enforcement, to have maybe a little window into what that's really like. To It just rips your heart out when even... Look at this young woman that was murdered in New York. Minnesota's familiar. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Because she was a young woman. She was the mother of three, I think. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, my God. You know, that bothered me. She was just just sitting on the side of the road in a patrol car, not even responding to a call. And some crazy just walks up and decides, I'm going to kill a cop today. It seems like the food of choice for these crazy people. I don't know where they're getting this idea from, but... Uh, I do. Let's hear it. Uh, a lot of it's portrayed in the media, and I keep saying it over and over time. When you have a terrorist or anybody else or this this nut job in Charleston, South Carolina, that want to kill those people at that Baptist church, they're getting fame. They're getting yes. national and international attention in a way that they could never, ever, ever accomplish. You know, they're basically nobodies. All of a sudden... I am somebody to somebody, you know, and they're talking about me and they're talking about my cause and my ideas and everything. They're no different yeah. than, than, a, than a Hitler. So the act is to bring them that notoriety and the news flashing their pictures. and Right. And uh, if we reported the news, uh, talked about the victims and, rarely, and never mentioned the people who did this, you know, I think that stuff would be cut in half. Yeah. I really do. You brought up a really good point, and you started making me feel emotional because I remember you talked about all the horrible things that, that people in law enforcement encounter and have to investigate. Child abuse, extreme family violence, domestic violence, murders. It, people don't die like they do in the movies and television. It's horrific, and it's just sometimes it's like being punched in the stomach with a sledgehammer. And then you yeah. go about and do your job, but afterwards, there's part of me that felt severely, and I'm th- I can't even think of the words, s- severely damaged. And then when you'd have a loved one, like my wife or someone say, how was your day? And you get home from work and you're like, my day was wonderful. Because I, I, I couldn't, I tried having a conversation a few times before. Say, how was your day? And I tried to tell them, say, so what was that like? And then you, I can't, I can't relive it. I can't go over it. I can't experience and talk about it anymore. Yeah. I, you know, my, my mother was very supportive of my law enforcement career, but there was many things, God bless her, that I did, and I have said this to a number of people, if my mother had known some of the things that I had seen, some of the experiences, not just, of course, all the horrific things, but... Uh, the absolute 
uh, it's like the world's gone crazy at right. times or, or off its kilter. And even if it doesn't, if it's not a death, you just say, this is warped. People are just warped. And you don't, one thing also, you don't realize when you're a normal person that instead of being a cop, <laughs> that how many genuinely bizarre and mentally damaged human beings there are in the world. I never realized there were so many nuts in the world. Right. And so much sadness. Yes. People and would genuine call... heartache yeah. and genuine, um, you know, when I was in homicide, there was a little Colombian boy that was murdered accidentally, uh, little Johnny Castro, maybe a couple of years old. He, his father was a Colombian dope dealer. He was riding in the car, bad guys come up, machine gun his dad, or tried to, but they killed the little boy. Another, you know, and they, his father leaves the child's um, body wrapped up in a sheet by a church. Anyway, then there was another one who was, the mother was in the car with the kid and the father and whatnot, and they come in, uh, I don't remember how, the little boy gets paralyzed. And here she is in the hospital bed, and I remember I just wanted to scream at her when we were interviewing her because she kept saying, yo no sé, yo no sé, I don't know, I don't know. She wouldn't tell us anything. And I said, your child is going to be a quadriplegic, or a paraplegic, I'm sorry, in a wheelchair, and you won't help us to identify who did this. And he was maybe five years old, four years old, and for the rest of his life he's in a wheelchair. How do you reconcile that? How does a human being, a mother, how do you, or, you know, how, we just couldn't, you know, so many of us just, we just shake our heads and say, how can humanity be so depraved? That's just what Robert and I were doing right now. We're just shaking our heads going, I, I don't know. We've been through this, but I don't know. And to have you know, it happen my, to a, a loved one to go through that sort of thing, unexpectedly get the phone call. That's got to be unimaginable. Yeah. Well, there's just no telling what, um, you know, I, I thank God many times that my son is alive mm -hmm. and that he's well and that he's, you know, I reasonably uh, he's got a life ahead of him, which would have, of course, not been so, or he could have been, let's say he got a more severe injury right? where he got shot or hurt, you know, and, and has to be in a wheelchair or has an affliction for the rest of his life. Which, well, if that you turns saw that people's video, lives into turmoil. Yeah, if you saw that video, that easily could have happened. Exactly. So there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I don't say, dear God, thank you for I have to say this. There's a song that uh, Tina Turner sang many years ago, and it's a love song. It's um, I'm try I don't know what the name of it is, but several of the lines in it are, oh, you're the best thing that's ever happened to oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I always used to say, this is a song that I dedicate to my son because he is the best thing that ever happened to me. And there's a line in it that says, if anyone should ever write my life story, you'll be there between the, pa between the pages of love and glory. Well, that's the way I feel about Eric. Speaking of Eric June, 
he is going to scream, shoot, curse at me. <laughs> he is going to go off the yeah, deep end. And, and let me tell you where I'm going with this is we made this about Eric and you know, both Jay and I know you are a highly decorated officer at Miami Dade, and we really haven't even spoke to you about your career. And I know Eric is going to be furious with me, so please jump in here and 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 tell us something that maybe even Eric doesn't know that happened during your career that w- that that would get me off the hook, please. Oh boy. <laughs> um. Wow. I don't know. I, you know, as a uh, early on, uh, it was in the seventies, of course, when I started, mid seventies. And as a as a female, I, I was I, I, they borrowed me a lot for a lot of things, which made my police career and life very interesting um, because I could be used in you know going to cockfights to uh, and be the bimbo of the dope dealer. Or I would go sit at the Omni Hotel, uh, or, uh, no, it was, I forgot the name of it. Anyway, it was a bar in the Grove that was a doper hangout, and I pretended to, to be on a date with my then lieutenant. Uh, there was uh, so many varied things that I was able to do, um, that made my career very interesting. And, oh, I testified before the Senate subcommittee in D.C. about the Colombian issue really eric may not know that and i you know meaning that i was one of the witnesses trying to get assistance for south florida when we were having the colombian drug wars and uh i'm trying to think of some of the things that maybe he didn't doesn't know about i don't know that he knows that we got in a shootout with a guy on lejeune road right near burger i didn't get into but it was like 20 of us that were on surveillance chasing a guy and we shot up the windows of a burger king a whole bunch of us <laughs> we were and um we it, the surveillance and the takedown and all that took two or three days so this was part of the process i don't know that i ever even said anything like that to not you know, the guy didn't shoot directly back at me, but we were all part of the shootout, shooting and t- t- running and chasing and over and through the woods, and you know how well, that can be insanity. Well, l- and, let me uh, let me rephrase it to you, June, then I'll make it easy for you. Obviously, the most precious thing and the greatest thing that you've done in your life is uh, you have this beautiful son, Eric. In your law enforcement career, what was the most thing, something that you were most proud of doing, whether Eric knows or not, I'd like to know. Oh, no pressure. Yeah, we, take take your time. We give us something that you know maybe you were so proud of doing. Wow, there was a lot of things I was proud of doing, but uh, probably uh, it's just none of them seem. You know, uh, it's not like well. There was a no. That's not the one I'm most proud of. I'm trying to. <laughs> there was. There must be twenty of them. Twenty or thirty different incidents. I bet. Okay. I, I bet. I'll just say this: that working in in the in homicide during the seventy nine, eighty, eighty one is probably not only the things I'm most proud of, but the thing I enjoyed because I really did impact. I think and help. Uh, identify and work with and, and because I spoke I speak Spanish 
uh, in those days, there weren't that ma- that many Spanish speakers on the department, and they used me, or they told me, you need to, you know, kind of like as an intelligence, per- you know, I was the intelligence analyst to filter through all the names and all the people and make out who they were, and then we, I talked to informants and I'd write. You know, all these memos. We connected so many. Probably it's this. I wrote, I prepared a big report that wound up going to Washington with about 42 cases connected. It was in the paper. And I was able to put together sort of a link analysis chart. And that's it's not the most, but one of the things I did that I considered, you know, probably I helped our cause. And it, it, caught the attention of, uh, you know, of D.C., so we wound up getting financial help down in South Florida because we were just being overrun. It was a crazy time back then. You know, a lot of young officers, both male and female, have to thank you for being a pioneer, especially the female officers out there, because back then, I mean, even in the early 80s, you never, in Baltimore, you didn't see a female homicide detective. That didn't happen until probably the late 80s. So you were like one of the first of the firsts, and I don't think that any of us could really comprehend what a trailblazer you were, and how so many people, and it sounds goofy to say this, but so many people that are doing this career now have never even heard of you, but if it wasn't for people like you, they would not be in a position they're in doing what they're doing now. Well, that's probably, you're probably right, but I never... I've had other people tell me I was a trailblazer and I was a pioneer, and uh, our department has a thing, a yearbook that they put out and they publish, and I'm in there as one of the early, especially females and Hispanic. They counted me as a Hispanic because my mother's Cuban, and you know things like that. But I just didn't think about that when I was. I was. I just was doing my job. I do believe that. Uh, you know, when you're in something, when you're involved in something, you're so right up there next to it that until you step away from it in time and years pass, then is when you see the perspective perhaps that others, uh, you know, then you can appreciate what you did. But, you know, at the time it was exciting. It was purposeful. I had a fire in the belly and lightning in my veins, and I was going to get those bad guys, you know? Mm-hmm. It didn't matter whether I was a trailblazer or different or new or any of those things. I'm glad that young women uh, are doing more of this today because you lose some of that naivete and some of that innocence. Yeah, it's a shame to lose it, but some of us women, we needed to see what the men were going through. And, you know, then we could relate to our fellow male cops and our husbands, even if they weren't cops. There's things that in the man's world is nothing like anything in a woman's world. And you never know until you've walked in their shoes, then you say, now I get it. Now I understand. Amazing story. We got to have you back again to tell you about your career. Because Robert hit on it. It's a story career. You came to talk to us about Eric and what he went through and the perspective from there. And all of a sudden, we like kind of like bombarded you with this, blindsided you with this. So we'll have to have you back on again to talk about your career 
I'm sure there's a hundred stories that, that people oh, would yeah, love to Some hear. of them are hysterical. Some of them may not be... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear that wicked laugh. Yeah, you know, they may not be... You may have to edit them out or fix them or doctor them up, you know, a, a little bit to pretty good make the them more palatable. I but they're funny. You know how we cops are. You have yeah. to laugh at things and stupid, stupid stuff that happens and pranks that they played on me or... You know, I went in as an undercover to a beauty store, came back out, and the two guys that had been in my car, they put on my bra and panties on their heads. <laughs> we see, that to you me know, would if have that, been... If that happened see, now, why, I'm sure it would be a major, it? you know, incident. But I just cracked up, and, you know... That, that should have been your most proudest moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> and here, one of them had his, you know, my bra on with it, like, made him look like he had two ears, and the other one was wearing my panties, and so you go... Oh my God! These guys are sick. You're sick, but you're laughing because they're your brothers. There you right. go. And I don't even want to find out or ask how they got a hold of your bra and panties on the job. Well, they, they were in my workout bag. Okay, all right, that's better. <laughs> yeah, you came up with that because you knew your son would be listening, but that's all right. No, no, no I, would, I You know, I used to have a bag that I kept, and of course, we had to go to the gym, and and that's and they. Of course, they were bored waiting for me to do the undercover thing. I was supposed to talk to the woman in the while I was getting my nails done. She was the wife of a doper, and so I'm talking to her, and they're in my car, which, by the way, was a station wagon with a fake baby seat in the back. Uh-huh. And so then they, you know, they took out, they started rummaging through my stuff, and uh, they said, "Oh yeah, well, you know," but they knew also. Of course, I'd, if I'd been a rather difficult female officers they wouldn't have done that but they knew i had a sense of humor and of course i'm sure many many people would say oh that's just wrong yeah you know it's it's funny that's nothing compared to some of the other stuff they used to do it's so funny you bring that up june and it's something quite frankly that male officers and female officers struggle with today with that fine line between having fun on the job and then offending somebody and ending up in the supervisor's office or worse. And it's something back in your day, I'm sure that, yeah, as you had mentioned, that you had experienced, but you just, as as the term, you just put your head down and move forward. But right yeah, you now... you just sucked it up. Um, I had a lieutenant that used to call, there were three of us who used to, on the platoon, he'd say, all right, you split tails, get ready for roll call. <laughs> you know, can you imagine... If they said that now, that would not go over well yeah, today. Yeah, but it, it's it's so difficult because I, you know, and, I I get that a lot. And as a supervisor now, you know, even though I I would like to have that fun and playfulness and camaraderie in in the patrol room, I I also have to be uh, realize the fact that somebody could cross the line or worse somebody could be offended of a joke like that taking somebody's bra out of a bag in today's world oh my, oh god. my god yeah exactly oh, yeah. and that's it, a shame it because is. it is we as cops we need our humor it's Absolutely. dark humor whatever humor and if you can't roll with it you know you've got to be able to and the, you know what i also learned if they didn't tease you as a female especially then they didn't like you right 
I, I, I so agree with you there, June. And on behalf of Jay, myself, and your son, Eric, who I'm sure is dying and waiting for this to come out, uh, it's been a pleasure to finally Absolutely. get you on the radio. Um, I want to thank you. And as Jay said, we would be honored, and I do you, do underline that word honored, to have you back as a guest another day to I'd talk about to your him. career. Thank you no so problem, much. No problem, any day. Thank you, June. As June Hawkins, and the term now will be Miami-Dade Police Department, retired. Retired. Uh, a real trailblazer, and we're going to have her back on and talk about her career in law enforcement, beginning in 74 and ending, which was it, 2004? 2004. 30-year law enforcement career, mother of Boynton Beach Police Officer Eric Reynolds, and uh, what a great interview. What a, a, a character, someone I know I'd love to sit down and have lunch with. And she didn't even want to talk about herself, if you noticed. I had a kept trying to pull things out because yeah. i know i'm going to hear from eric that uh why didn't you ask my mom that i can hear him now you know oh, yeah. so eric i'm bringing a box of tissues with me at our next uh, little get together and i'm glad we had her on because it, yet again another perspective regarding law enforcement you don't hear about you never hear in the media this is a, an officer retired officer a long storied career whose son's a police officer and he was in a very violent situation where he was injured and uh, the suspect was killed. That's something you just never hear about in the media. Right. They don't even begin to talk about things like this. And that's part of what law enforcement today is in our mission, is to, to bring other aspects, a more realistic picture and portrayal of law enforcement officers and their families throughout the United States because it's not being told. And we got to thank June because I think she did an excellent job. I'll use the term. It wasn't my term. I wish it was humanizing the badge because she basically wasn't a a police officer for this interview. She was a mom. Right. It's funny. Half of it. She was a mom. She was a mom. Another half. She was a police officer. Right. And uh, it's it's a, a great story. And we're glad she's okay. We're glad Eric's okay. This is another example of the type of guests we want to have. If you know of another guest that would be interesting, like June was today, that gives us a different perspective or actually lets somebody in the law enforcement world that's kind of wondering what we do, what we're like, please have them contact us or recommend them and we'll reach out to them we're go-getters absolutely and we'll make it happen and we can accommodate them from anywhere because they can call into our studios here at glades media and in west palm beach and we can record it and set up ahead of time and almost any schedule and it's very easy to get a hold of us you could even send us a message on our new app Correct. We've got to let everybody know about our new app. It's a great way to not only listen to our podcast, we have a fan wall uh, where you can post pictures, which hopefully some of our guests that are on our radio show, we're going to encourage them to do that. And it's a great way to get uh, information on breaking news, articles written by fellow police officers and people that write for law enforcement today. It's a phenomenal way to stay in touch with whether you're in law enforcement or you're a supporter of law enforcement. It's something that your iPhone or Android has to have an app, and we want it to be law enforcement and It's today. a free app, and you can search for it at Google Play or iTunes App Store, just search for Law Enforcement Today, or go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download it, 100% free. And it's for everybody, even people who are critical of police. Because I would be willing to venture a guess that the vast majority of people who 
are the most vocal uh, anti-police people out there really don't have a good portrayal of what police are really all about. No, and, and if you're one of those people and you want to come on and have a conversation, and I'm going to emphasize the word conversation because Jay and I are not arguers. We don't want to argue. No, we'll just but, hang up on you. Yeah, or uh, what, what is the word? We delete. Jay's a good yeah. deleter. Or, when it comes to Facebook, if someone is an internet troll, I don't engage them. I just delete them. And if they're really bad, I delete and ban them. Yeah. That's all I do. It's just because I don't engage in, in useless, hostile arguments with people who don't want to hear any point of view other than their own. But if somebody wants to legitimately come on and they've got a beef, and don't tell me it's about a ticket you got because I don't want to hear it. But if I, you actually, what, you're shaking, you're shaking his head. I was talking folks. with the guy the other day and he, he had been arrested for DWI several years ago. And he's sitting there going, and I, I got pulled over going 11 miles an hour on the interstate. Is what he said. I was in a blackout. I had no idea what was going on. All of a sudden, there's lights in the background. I don't remember anything. He goes, but I do remember the cop was condescending and a jerk. And I said to him, if you don't remember anything, how did you know that? That's And the answer was? Nothing. Nothing. Blank. Nothing. What did you expect him to be? Right. Mr. Rogers? Right. And and if you weren't drunk and weren't driving 11, 11 miles an hour, bingo, he never would have been condescending to you. You never had to have conversation, an interaction with it all. Right. But <laughs> again, if, if you have had a problem or you want to discuss issues that you believe that law enforcement is on the wrong side, we would, if you want to have a conversation about the issue, we would really love to have you on. So contact us. It's very easy. Send me an email, jay at lawenforcementtoday.com or Robert lawenforcementtoday.com. You can send us a message on our on our Facebook page. You can hit the contact us on our website. It's located at the bottom of the page. Hit us up. Again, we're focused on the positive side. So those of you that have been listening, I want to thank you so much for the positive feedback. Every time I I reach out to somebody and I challenge them to listen to one of our podcasts, I immediately get a response back. Sure. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I'm downloading it. I'm sending it to my friends. So if everybody could just do that, one person at a time. Tell one other person. Tell one other person. Have them listen to one of our our shows. And I guaranteed uh, law enforcement today will have another friend and a Awesome. Thanks so much. On behalf of everyone associated with law enforcement today, that's become like my thing. Robert Greenberg, Jim McNeff, our, our primary editor, everybody else that volunteers that writes I'm John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.